Hey, it's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is part two of three parts. This podcast from October of 2013. My guest is Vijay Iyer. Our topic is Andrew Hill. And, you know, we don't ask for any money from listeners or subscribers to this podcast. But something you might want to do is uh, collect some of the music from these artists. Vijay Iyer is on the ECM label, and uh, he's got a, a bunch of, all of his recordings are wonderful, and I recommend them. He's on the cover, this is June of 2021, he's on the cover of Downbeat Magazine this month. You could read all about him there, and uh, you might want to get some of his music to have. Andrew Hill recorded on a number of labels. We talk about those uh, blue notes from the 60s, which are all great, beautiful album covers, fantastic sidemen, brilliant composition, great playing, totally worth having. But he's got a bunch of other albums too. He's got stuff that he did before those, after those. I've never heard a disappointing recording from either of these guys. And I, I could say that about pretty much every guest who's been on Deep Focus. So that's a it's a great place to start or extend your collection. And uh, is it supporting this show? Sure, I guess. Share the music with people. Not so big on uh, MP3s. Although this, you're listening to an MP3 right now. So forget I said that. I just meant all that sharing of junk. Try to get some high-quality recordings of this music when you can. And that's usually not mp3s okay let's get on to the show this is part two of three if you didn't hear part one you might want to start with that but hey it's up to you you can do what you want you know aaron worked quite a bit i remember that was a question i was going to ask you if we know kind of how many shows these guys might have had under their belts Uh, i don't know a number but i know that they they got on the road a bit they were going to europe and playing festivals and things they didn't they weren't like road hounds taking every gig i mean andrew was never the type to take every gig you know um he took the good ones Smart <laughs> he, man. Was a, he was a he was a hard he drove a hard bargain and he earned it yeah i mean and certainly uh, at this point in his life yeah he, yeah yeah so i think they did they had some pretty choice uh events that they, but they also would do a run at the standard now and then yeah. or at different places and uh and the stuff would be popping, you know, and you can hear it. Like, they, there's this confidence of, and unity in the ensemble that uh, they're able to just kind of create these unified events. And it's, um, you know, they're not messing around. Yeah. And it was nice that at this point in his life and all the things that he'd done, he seemed to get a great deal of respect and audience mm-hmm. support. And people were understood what he was doing and they were there for him and... Uh, yeah, this was sort of the uh, beginning of that re- Renaissance period. Two thousand is pretty, because I think like the he he moved back here in the late nineties, right? It must have been. 90, I thought mid to late nineties earlier, actually, because um, I thought he was living here. I mentioned off mic that uh, him stopping by the station. I, I want to oh. say that was maybe ninety two or something, but I don't know. He might have been just. Hmm. Well, he was some of that. Some of the '90s, he was in Portland, Oregon. Because he, he that, might not have been living here. That was just an impression yeah. that I had. But uh, anyway, um, 
All the, the answers to these questions are a phone call away, I'm sure, okay, if we wanted yes. to reach out to the people who well, know better. it's uh, not a, you know, I don't... Yeah. But there, there, there are no wrong answers. Right. <laughs> and if I'm asking a question for which there's a wrong answer, maybe it's the uh, wrong question. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll, you know, what I was saying is that this was he had this period from the late '90s until he passed away, which was it was April of 2007, I believe, because I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news. Um, and. Uh, you know, in that period, he had this sort of like uh, nice renaissance. He was uh, getting a lot of it. He was, um, his music was suddenly being well documented and well heard. And well, you know, it was being heard and responded to. Yeah. And it was influencing people anew, you know, sort of. Like yeah. People had a, yeah, yet, a, I, yet those, another period of rediscovery. Yeah. You were referring to yourself getting that CD, A Point of Departure, which. Oh, but that, that was in 1990. Right, right, right. No, but I'm mean, yeah. so for all those relatively yeah. dark years in Andrew Hill's life, all of us who are coming up were finding these gems mm-hmm. from 20, 30 years before, mm-hmm. whenever it might have been, and having this mm-hmm. incredible experience of discovery. And mm-hmm. and then here the guy is. He's, he's back. Yeah. He's among us, and he's writing new stuff, and he's got yeah. all kinds of new ideas that are just as wonderful as the things that we knew from yeah yeah 60s yeah, yeah. perhaps more so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah so there was it was great to see this band flourish and then to see him do more small group stuff and solo stuff trio stuff you know those last years were really magical and uh and we're in it we're yeah, in it in this yeah, with in this it. recording yeah this is the this is sort of like the beginning of that last phase you know yeah Late style, as they call it. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, so now, I guess, as he said, Vaughn Freeman's yeah. about to step on stage here. A little, a little tiramisu for uh, <laughs> after your meal. <laughs> what a treat! The and, great, you know, one of the greatest tenor, well, greatest saxophonists of the last century. You know, he was. Uh, he passed away just not long ago, a couple of years ago, and um, but I, I got to know him a little bit. Uh, he was a mentor to Steve Coleman and many others who came through Chicago or from Chicago, and I was Steve was sort of a mentor to me, so through him I got to know and hang out with and play with Vaughn Freeman a little bit. Um, Not to take anything away from Marty Ehrlich, who sounds great on this set, yes. and Aaron Stewart, who's tearing it up. Yep. But man, Von Freeman has such a pretty sound. Yeah, and now that I think about it, the time that I played with Vaughn was this same year. Oh. <laughs> so this is what this is that was when he sounded like this. You know, he, well, it's more than pretty. It's like uh it's got this grain in it. Mm. You know, it's got this uh texture and wisdom in it. Mm. And it's not just the sound either. I mean, I think the sound, his sound is so intoxicating and so personal and so uh, rich, you know. It's kind of like one of those Belgian beers. Yeah. You you have one taste and it's like, this tastes like an entire meal, you know, it has <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but the other thing is that what he's playing, I mean, it's almost like you, you it gets, uh, we get distracted by the tone and we don't pay attention to what he's actually playing and, and the, what what he's playing just in terms of the the uh, the ideas I guess yeah uh, 
are truly innovative and truly one of a kind. You know, there's really he's about he's just a little bit younger than Bird would have been, and um, so it's sort of like a parallel history, you know. Yeah, and he's also somebody who never really sought out opportunities beyond Chicago. He, you know, many were offered to him and. He wasn't that interested, you know, so he would basically kind of remained this sort of sage on the mountaintop kind of mm. thing in Chicago. He's like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm, I'm working on my thing. And, and he, you know, he was sort of, uh, the, he had the kind of frame of mind of a student till the end. You know, he was always pushing himself, exploring, and sort of like what you know about Sonny Rollins, you know. Yeah. Um, and there was just so much detail and mastery in his in his lines. There's a lot of uh, subtle and not so subtle, like kind of like uh, shocking um, turns of phrase and different pathways through the harmonies. And um, yeah, he was a master, a real innovator. You know. Did we identify what the pieces? I know we were talking off mic. I don't know if we said uh, they play Stardust first, um, and then they play. Some tune that I don't know the name of. It's kind of got a riff. Uh, the A section is this slick little riff. <laughs> what do you have any associations with Stardust in particular? Yeah, yeah. I used to play it a lot. Yeah, Hoagie Carmichael. <laughs> yes. Um, what kind of a composition is that? What is it? I mean, oh, it's, a, it's kind of I'm a just you know like you. a lot of these old tunes are sort of syrupy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you hear like what you know, Pop says a version of this song, and uh, you know there are a lot of versions. Nat King Cole. Uh, so it's there's always more to do with a piece of music like this. You know, there's more to unpack, especially if you have like these two guys together, Mr. Hill and Mr. Freeman. <laughs> I mean, both of them have kind of cracked open the language, the improvising language, and you know they have these very personal approaches to melody and to counterpoint and to harmony and rhythm basically the building blocks of music and uh so a tune like this is not something to play but it's something to repurpose you know or to play through to get to something else and that's that's something else that's interesting to me it kind of doesn't matter what tune it is actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. We call this show Deep Focus. And Vijay Iyer is unpacking <laughs> the, the, the wealth of musical information to be found in the playing of Andrew Hill on this particular date of August 31st, 2000 in Chicago at the Chicago Jazz Festival with his point of departure sextet. Andrew Hill, point of departure sextet. Ron Horton on trumpet, Marty Ehrlich. Alto saxophone, Aaron Stewart, tenor saxophone, Scott Colley on the bass, and the sheet waits on the drums. Andrew Hills, the pianist, and the guest stepping onto the bandstand right now is none other than Bon Freeman. And if anyone knows the name of the second tune they play, feel free to chime in and call in and tell us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's uh, Let's go back to Chicago on WKCR. Andrew Hill. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> Chicago. Yeah. That's my kind Chicago. of town. Yeah. Well, it's uh, someone had the opinion that that's Lester Leaps in, but the head is different. I mean, it's rhythm changes, uh, but it's there's a another some other melody. Maybe it's Vaughn's kind of uh, extension of Lester Leaps in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Vaughn Vaughn's is in. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> Vaughn <laughs> Vaughn yeah. is in. You got pulling in the uh, the Slim Gaylord that's reference. That's right. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I like it. Uh, and well, they whatever the title of the composition, we could we could say it's Lester Leaps in. It's uh, they're having a blast. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they really, you know. This is, I'm not going to say it's its math music, but it's heady music. And uh, by the end of it, no question, our fearless leader, Andrew Hill, is having a fine time. Well, everyone was. Yeah. You know, I I was too, listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a sense of celebration in the music in general, I think. that's. Uh, in... And, uh, you know, when you, certainly when you, in a context like that, that aspect of it is highlighted. There, there's a sort of a sense of um, ritual celebration, <laughs> you know, and it's like if you have thirty, it's this is music that's born in clubs, right, where everybody's like crammed together in one yeah. small room, sort of like you know, there's very little boundary between performers and audience, uh, but now it's being kind of uh, projected to tens of thousands of people. Um, but still trying to capture that spirit of uh, intimacy and uh, fast and loose and uh, full of possibility, you know. And I, that's what it is. That's the history of this music. Mm. And that's just the, that treatment of it had such a Chicago sound to it. Yeah. Um, you know, Vaughn is Vaughn Freeman's uh, his tone and his you know his whole approach to the saxophone. It's very in keeping with the Chicago tenor tradition. If you you know. Gene Ammons and yeah, John yeah. Gilmore and yeah. you know like these guys from that Johnny heritage. Griffin yeah Griffin no doubt um, that's 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 part of that uh, ethos yes know? yeah and uh, the, you can so that's what I mean is like there's a sense of celebrating that heritage and that lineage and that, that, you know and listening to that whatever you might think of where Andrew Hill's head is at with regard to his compositions and his music. There's no question that he put his time in playing in those clubs yeah. and working with those guys, and he knows this music. Well, that's the thing that um, sometimes people uh, forget as this music travels and propagates through the world is that it came from a place, you know? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and it, didn't come from, it didn't come from a record studio it yeah. came, it was some sterile studio environment. It actually came from a place with people around it, you know? And uh, that's even true of the AACM guys, the people who are called avant-garde. Like, well, it wasn't avant-garde to the people in that community who supported it. You know, it was born in a place where people were supporting it and uh, it was nurtured by a community. That's why it came to the prominence that it had, because it was connecting with a lot of people. So, and and that's sort of, uh, to me, that's the sound you hear uh, I mean, I've been to that festival a few times, and uh, I've been to Chicago many times. And when you hear Chicago musicians in Chicago, mm. there's like they're surrounded by 
love, you know, because it's it makes sense in that context. This is the context that gave birth to it. It's like family, you know. And let us not forget that Chicago was arguably the home to the music before New York was. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, this music was born in American cities, um, not just New Orleans, but also yeah. St. Louis and Chicago and Kansas City, Kansas City, yeah, D.C., New York, mm-hmm. even L.A. and San Francisco. Oh, a little absolutely. bit of that. Houston. Uh, absolutely L.A., yeah. Um, so, and Detroit, of course. Did we say Detroit? We should have said Better. it. We should have Better. said it twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we could keep going, but we won't. <laughs> so it's all, you know, I've... Asterisk, everything else. But it's always nice to hear music of, you know, yeah, of yeah. a place in its place. Yes. I'm in my mind, I'm, I'm in the Velvet Lounge right now. Right, I'm, exactly. I know exactly what yeah. you're saying. Or the new apartment lounge. You know, I meant, I meant to mention that... Uh, I had mentioned that Steve Coleman was kind of... Uh, deeply inspired by Vaughn Freeman and the uh Steve has done put in a lot of work and time um analyzing Vaughn's playing and I remember there was one time when we we're I was staying at Steve's house in Allentown uh in like ninety seven ninety six or ninety seven and we spent like sixteen hours a day for a few days transcribing von freeman solos wow. <laughs> that he had uh bootlegged at the new apartment lounge in the 80s you know like we just went in on that stuff and yeah there's so much it's sort of like dealing with bird some bird solos or something there's so much knowledge and uh uh playfulness and invention going on it's just uh, you know it's uh, it was it was like a um, it was like an entire college course compressed into three days. <laughs> That's what I remember it being like. Nice. You know. It's still paying off. Sure is. Yeah. yeah. You are listening to WKCR. We call the show Deep Focus. Mm. And we are living up to that tonight with Vijay Iyer peering into the crystal ball of the music of Andrew Hill, pianist, composer, band leader. And uh, my name is Mitch Goldman. We're here with you for... Uh, Till nine o'clock, I'll call this the midpoint of the program, which mm. it's not, but we'll sit, pretend it is because we are shifting focus from that great recording, which we played every shred of, <laughs> to something very, very different, but uh, no less compelling. And it's a uh, recording from the same year, a few months before, a few months prior, and it's actually a solo mm-hmm. recording of Andrew Hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is the first solo performance of Andrew Hills I heard was the album I'm sure you know very well from California with Love, mm-hmm. and uh, it that was striking to me. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've ever had the experience of feeling like I'm inside someone's head. <laughs> the way, there's something incredibly intimate about that yeah. recording, and I had that same feeling listening to this recorded decades later. Yeah, but that's the, um, what I said, uh, I don't know, an hour ago, about what an innovator he was in the solo piano format. Um, there's, uh, there's so much there. I mean, I think the most striking thing about it, and like you said, it, there's an intimacy, but what it feels like to me, there's a real tactile quality. Uh, but most of all, 
he's really in the moment with sound. It's really like uh, every sound is a discovery as it happens. <laughs> you know, it feels that way. Uh, and so he, he's really uh, manipulating the intensity and dynamics of every note and every gesture and every combination. And so you feel like you're right there with him at the brink of every decision. And it's as if we're making those decisions, those choices together from moment to moment. And it really, I try to advise um, some of my students to like try to get to that point. It's, it's a very, really, uh, it's a high goal. You know, it's very hard to do that when you're trying to think about, well, what should I play next, let alone how should I play it? You know, because it's, this is very much about the how somehow becoming the what, you know? Mm. <laughs> like the uh, the sound of it really is the most important thing about it, not just what notes are in that chord or something like that. So, um, you know, you, you really takes you to that place where you're experiencing sound together. That's one thing to say about it. There's a lot to say about it. But, um, mm. And I mentioned earlier... Uh, how he seems to pull these uh, harmonies or these different voices in harmonic progressions apart, like kind of like taffy or something. Mm. And that's something you hear too, the way he'll sort of, it's a chord, but it's sort of, um, it's voiced in a semi-unified way. So it's, you hear the kind of compositeness of it too. So you hear each individual element in it. It's sort of broken Broken or not broken, broken makes it seem like there's something wrong with it. It's just that it's um, it's kind of spread. A, it's yeah. spread. You know, it's spread so that you can see it all or hear it all, and hear its constituent units, and um, hear each sound as sort of its own entity. Is he playing for himself, or is he? Well, I don't. I don't. I mean. It's like I said, all this music came from a place with people, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there is that intimacy, but it's also like he brings you right into it, yeah. you know, and yeah. he makes the instrument resound in a way that you feel in your gut, you know, or you feel in your, you, you feel the room shaking around you. It's like I said, that's really what you feel, you know. <laughs> uh, so he is communicating. That's what he's doing. Mm. He's not playing for himself. Indeed. April 29th, 2000, we're in London, and we're in the studios of the BBC. In fact, uh, you might hear a little bit of the announcement that uh, introducing this piece of music. Jazz Nelson. Indeed. <laughs> yes. Um, jazz, jazz on three. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says. That's what the man says. Um, I think we might be able to actually just jump right past that and into oh, the music of Andrew Hill solo performance and this is part of Deep Focus with Vijay Iyer and Mitch Goldman WKCR Two, one. That's the other. Oh, <laughs> so it is all wrong never mind okay that's why I had see uh, you know I'm firing that uh, engineer. <laughs> Why do we keep that guy around here? He's useless. Deadwood, I tell you. This is uh, Andrew Hill in the studios of the BBC in uh, 
in London. You're listening to WKCR. Well, playing solo. The session opens with the track Fourth and Fifth.
you got to have that moment of just letting the air back in the room mm. after listening to that. That was Andrew Hill in the studio, solo performance, obviously. And, um, yeah, that uh, just feel like you're breathing with him when you listen to that. Yeah. Yeah, he really, uh, he has his own sense of time. And it sort of, uh, he carries you into it, you know, or draws you into it. So then that becomes your experience of time for that duration. It's almost like there's a, a period of the resonance of the instrument or something like uh, it's got to allow that sonic wave to get to the other end and back. Mm. Yeah, I guess, I mean, there is a way that he deals with the resonance and the decay of the, of the, the decay of the resonance and lets that be part of the form. It becomes like a formal device, you know, this will last this long mm. <laughs> and we're yeah. going to listen to it. You know, you listen to the overtones interacting. But it's also very human. Like, there's a there's a human touch in it that is uh, evolving. And um, uh, there's, it's full of action, I mm. guess is what I mean. You know, it's, it's uh, there's, there's all this uh, counterpoint. There's all this contrast. You hear the work of the hands, I guess is how I would put it. I want to hear more about that. I have to announce that we're listening to WKCR FM New York, or maybe you're listening to WKCR.org. And uh, we call the show Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman, and my guest tonight is Vijay Iyer, and we are exploring the music of Andrew Hill, who uh, some people said that he gets too much play here. <laughs> Someone <laughs> called and said that. He's, Shocking. I mean, he, I don't know. Andrew I Hill know that is... that was possible. He, he is... You know, I mean, you could make a, we could make the, on the WKCR football team, our jerseys might, I would be okay with having Andrew Hill's picture on the front of that. I'd be cool with that. Um, but uh, I don't know, that might be overstating a little bit, but um, this particular recording from the KCR archives is not uh, very familiar to most listeners. It's pretty, uh, pretty hard to find. So we're taking delight in bringing that to you tonight. And we are... Well, we've been here for just over two hours, got a little under an hour to go, so you're in the right place. And uh, so, uh, his hands. <laughs> um, I'm curious about, and, and I had no expectation. You weren't required to come here tonight knowing all these things I'm asking you, but you have so much, so much more special knowledge of Andrew Hill and his music than I had any idea and, and maybe more than most other people would have and I can't help drawing you out so when I get to the end of the road don't feel bad about no, not knowing yeah. the answer I'm just going to keep pushing till I get uh, you know till I, I find a place of <laughs> where it sounds finally like BS is yeah. that where people be like aha I gotcha <laughs> I'm googling it as we go but um, I'm wondering about 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 his hands and about the uh, the interface of the human and the machine of the piano mm -hmm. and about mm -hmm. the piano mm -hmm. and I mean when you get into this kind of thing the particular instrument and its qualities become much more significant it's not just any instrument that he's interacting with or or is it oh well he um, he could make any piano do something <laughs> you know uh, but I think in general, 
if you well I'll put it this way the, the pianists that I've always gravitated towards were the ones for whom you really um, you hear the the body in it like you hear the hands at work you hear you know like monks roll of the fingers um, or you hear uh, Duke Ellington's forearms you know yeah you hear a person yeah you know? it's not just you hear music you hear a person mm. and you listen for traces of that person mm-hmm. in every sound you know and you can source it mm. like uh, that was that finger you know yeah <laughs> that yeah. kind of thing so uh, that you, to you, me is sort of I mean it's basically like it's part of the uh, fabric of this music and this heritage is that it's about storytelling and it's about uh, telling your own story it's about carrying your own identity in your sound and in every sound you make and that comes from you as a person it comes from your body and your way of approaching the instrument and your uh, ideas too you know but it's very much about your physical relationship to the instrument and uh, that's what makes you sound like yourself I mean how is it that on this big machine that's centuries old that you know there are thousands of I don't know hundreds of thousands of pianos in the world and he can sit at any one of them and you'll know that it's him that it's not somebody else how is that possible? How you know, is that possible? Physically, how is that even possible? Why Why is that so, you know? And that's sort of what we, in this area of music, train ourselves to listen for. Like, you know, why is it that, what is it about this person that makes it sound that way? It's a, it's a special <clears throat> burden on you, on pianists, on the bandstand. You're the only one who, most of the time, who shows up and plays whatever instrument they give you to yeah. play. Yeah. And... Maybe, maybe that pulls something more out of pianists. I mean, not that saxophonists aren't working as hard, bassists aren't, you know, killing themselves to do it. But, but well, you have it's a, sort of a, a higher, higher uh, mountain you got to climb. On the other hand, I mean, pianists have this luxury of polyphony and the full range of the piano, which is it sort of lines up with the full range of the human ear. You know, so we have a lot of options at our disposal that even a saxophonist doesn't have, you know? So, and also the fact is that we're always in the music. You know, it's not like we step in and step out like a horn player. We're actually always kind of steering the sound of the music. So there's a little bit more, um, well, we have more ground that we're allowed to cover, I guess. I'll put it that way. By we, I'm still main mm-hmm. pianists if mm-hmm. I'm still counted among them <laughs> some days I'm not sure but uh, anyway so the hand you know there's nowhere else except the hands <laughs> that right. are, that is the infer- interface between the instrument and the person so what but then there's all the stuff that sits behind the hands and how the hands work um you know, when I, st- I studied Monk's music very carefully, I still do. I mean, I've been listening to it for 
more than a quarter century and I think about it every day, you know, and it informs everything that I do. But at some point I realized that that's not me, right? Because that's not what my hands do at the piano. They do something else. So then I really realized that I had to draw out that. Like, what is it that my hands do? Because I know what monk's hands do. They do things like trinkle tinkle. You yep. know, like that tune. If you listen to that tune, that's his hands all over. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. made. It's a melody that's made out of things that his hands do. Um, so then I just looked into more about, and I think that's sort of, that's part of the uh, um, directive of any pianist is to like find that way that you uh, are able to be at the piano. Or that set of ways, that set of options that you have, cultivate your own options, you know, in your own um, gestural vocabulary. So you hear that with with Andrew Hill. You hear that he's cultivated it. He's found a lot of stuff his own way, on his own path. He discovered some sounds, discovered some ways of making the instrument ring that you don't really hear many other people doing. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he has a there's a dignity in it you know in the approach there's a real grandness a sense of scale a sense of pacing and a sense of purpose that uh, seems to mark everything he does I'm curious if you spoke with him about these things about his approach to the solo performances I mean Oh, he was very self-effacing. It was hard to really get him to um, talk shop so much. Yeah. Uh, You know, if you try to, like, how are you doing that stuff? It's so (laughs) brilliant and mysterious. I don't understand it. He'd just say, oh, well, we'll bless you. He'd just say that. You know, he wouldn't really really explain. Um, But it's also, uh, if you want, you can analyze it just take time with it and analyze it and uh so i've tried to do that a little bit with you know various recordings that i've kind of come to love but also just the sensibility after a while after hearing a lot of his solo music there's a great um box set on mosaic it includes the from california with love session from the 70s yeah there's at least one other whole album that came out from that yeah session too that was like 78 i think right. artist house right um i'm blanking on the name of it but it's in there it's in that same box oh. set um that came out a few years ago we probably have it here <laughs> i'll have to dig yeah. that up but it, you know you really hear that intimacy it'll take a i mean that's a lot of original stuff it'll also take a, a standard or something from the the repertoire like uh he does, um, what is it, Afternoon in Paris? <laughs> is that on one of those? Or maybe that's on a live one. There's one called Verona Rag. Yeah. It's a really nice yeah, one. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, Soul Note album, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or he'll do Sophisticated Lady or something like that. And you again, it's sort of like he peels the layers of it apart, like an onion or something. Or you reve- he reveals that there's no center (laughs) (laughs) just like an onion so I don't know I could go on and on but I wish it's uh, it's beautiful 
it's beautiful and it's very human. It has that real uh, sense of aliveness and it's really in the moment. Absolutely. Moment moment, it's really in the moment. Yeah. I mean, you really, to me, I, you feel that he's in this sanctum mm. by himself with uh, with his, his thoughts and his ideas that he's worked mm. out over time. And it's... Uh, and, and yet he delivers them, too. Yeah. It's yeah. not... Uh, again, yeah, it's I not, don't mean to make it sound like he's, you know, it's... Uh, Hermetic. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel that way, but uh, just that—not uh, that he's alone, but he's alone with us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to the studio. Yes, sir. This is WKCR. Deep Focus is the program, and that title has never been more apt than it is tonight with Vijay Iyer <laughs> describing the music of Andrew Hill. It's really a treat for me. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. And uh, we're going back to the studio with Andrew Hill. It's April of 2000.
that is part two of this Deep Focus podcast from October 2013, Vijay Iyer on the topic of Andrew Hill. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman, and part three is up along with coming up on 200 total episodes on the Deep Focus podcast. If you have not subscribed, by golly, you should. They usually come out on Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday mornings, and there's just tons of them piling up there. We also post on Instagram. We are Deep Focus Podcast, and we post uh, upcoming programs and photos and stuff about these artists. And you can probably find us on your favorite podcasting app, and you can certainly always find us at our hosting site, which is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. So, yeah, come along for the ride. Check out part three. It's going up.